Welcome to the second part of the Amazing Race Canada 3 preview episode of the UR Team Number podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me is a Canadian who could be described as enthusiastic and humorous, provided he's not sleep deprived, Logan Saunders. Morning. Well, yeah, it's, isn't. Still morning, just. Another hour. Yeah, it's, uh, we're recording earlier than normal because, uh, because I like to get up bright and early and power through this thing. And power through nine kilometers. Power through nine kilometers indeed, yeah. Have you not lost your bet yet, then? No, I'm. I'm always meeting the monthly running goal each month. So you know, I'm. I'm keeping fit and having fun, as uh, Hal and Joanne would say. Yeah, or as uh, we've previously established, maybe not. Yeah, I'm not angry though. Once I get angry, I'll change. I'll change what I say to keep an f off and spirit of Hal and Joanne as well. And as always, you can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. And the 12 teams will be completed tonight. Yes, we did six teams last week, and we have six teams plus the new twist for this season to address for this week. And, for the record, Logan, I'm going to refuse to podcast with you if you confirm another spoiler this week. <laughs> no more spoilers, viewers. We promise you no lo- no more location Spoilers beyond what was said in last week's press release. Mainly because the remaining countries aren't as interesting as India. Hey, you just broke the rule. (laughs) First rule of podcasting club, don't mention podcasting club. So, team number seven is Susan and Shanjit. Uh, So they are co-workers in a women's correctional facility, and they are both apparently bossy. Like Khalees. Like Khalees. And they are described as feisty, which by default makes them Aston and Christie. Yeah, I'm sure all the viewers, when, when they were reading through Susan and Sharon Jeet's bio, were immediately comparing them to Ashton and, and Christie from The Amazing Race Australia versus New Zealand. I really hope that they get into a fight and tell someone to eat a bag of dicks. They would just make me so happy. <laughs> a few days ago, I, I don't think you saw this, Michael, due to region blocking... Uh, but there was a special called Ready Set Race that aired on CTV, hosted by it was hosted by Devin Sultanik, who used to be a VJ on Much Music, and I guess during season two, Devin did all the tasks with John Montgomery, including a tandem tandem skydive on the opening leg of last season. And I guess uh, when Devin was talking to one of the other teams, it might have been. Max and Elias. And Max looks a lot like Khaleesi from Game of Thrones, by the way. I don't know why I didn't point that out last week. But I think they said that they saw Susan and Char- or I think it might have been Sar- Sharnjeet that they saw where she was doing insane aerobics in the gym. And then we discover that uh, Sharnjeet does CrossFit. So they're more 20s than anything, then. Or, De- or Dennis and Isabel, Cam- the Cambonese team from Amazing Race 25. So... Hopefully, Susan Sharjit become as legendary as Natalie and Nadia, and not so much as Dennis and Isabel. Otherwise, they will be out very, very early. Hopefully, they'll be Natalie and Nadia for the first time round, rather than the second. The first, yeah, yeah, not so much the second time. Actually, they talked a lot more about CrossFit the second time. I think I'm not sure how much into CrossFit they were the first time. Uh, and did you notice what their lucky charms are? Each other. Each other are their lucky charms. Pass me the bucket. <laughs> I'm determined this week not to go on another rant, but, ugh, cliche! Speaking of, of uh, the India uh, location being in the press release, Susan's parents are from India, so if they make it that far into the race, 
you know they're going to be hogging a lot of airtime during that round. But yet again, the curse of the Twinnies could strike again. Twinnies go, like, four rounds later, they go to Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And with the prize money, they want to set up their children's futures and, of course, travel to India to volunteer. Yeah. Did you know that, you know how teams were, uh, in their bios were said to give themselves a pop duo nickname? Uh, some of them were. I completely ignored this question because it was so vacuous and awful. They were one of about two or three teams that said that Sugar and Spice would be their pop duo name. So hopefully when they ask this question next season that this answer is forbidden because way too many teams answered this on the in the bio. So who's the real Sugar and Spice is going to be the question for this season. And of course, because they're a female-female team, they most associate with Vanessa and Selena. Is that just a default answer for... Because uh, what, what would be the distinguishment, you think, between... A team that compares themselves to Vanessa and Selena, and a team that compares themselves to Natalie and Megan. I think Natalie and Megan is more of a game bot team, like Dana and Amanda, for example. Where you just don't have that much personality, and all it is is just, it's all just about athletics and not so much personality. Yeah, whereas Vanessa and Selena are more of a team that gets a penultimate roadblock rigged for them. <laughs> yeah. For anybody out there listening, we rag on that penultimate roadblock in the first season of Amazing Race Canada about every four to five podcasts. It is, it is probably the Canadian version of the hay bale task seen in the Amazing Race US or the, or the find the one Blu-ray disc that shows your clue out of 10,000 Blu-ray discs in the Amazing Race Asia 3. It firmly falls under the category of utter bullshit. In task design. No other term for it. It's just an awful, awful production decision in a season that was actually pretty good. But that drags the season down by a couple of points. The fact that Vanessa and Selena had that stupid roadblock rigged for them. And the fact that Jet and Dave, who are still probably my favourite team from season one, got busted because of it. Eh, they're overrated. Surprisingly, their walkout song is a song with Ludacris in it. So right there, Susan and Sharjit are just shooting up to the top of my list of favorite teams for this season. You know, on a scale of Gino and Jesse to, say, um, Suki and Jinder, they're more they're closer to the Suki and Jinder scale end of things. Please, please, if you get on talk, can you make your walk-on song be four four for me? <laughs> just for you, Michael. Just for you. Mainly because I just want to expose Ben to that song. Because I think he'd approve. And, of course, on a slight note where that makes Susan Sharjit get a few points taken away from them, it is yet another law enforcement team on this season. Yeah, I kind of hope that the law enforcement teams just go pretty early. I mean, as we predicted, Dana and Amanda are going to go pretty early. I don't think Brian and Cynthia are going to last that long either. Yeah, there's one team that I, I want all the other law enforcement teams to go right away, but I want Susan and Sean G to stick around, especially when their story is more interesting because they're correctional officers, which, uh, well, between the male prisoners uh, where they work and also it being a male-dominated field, it's a, it's a bit more interesting that they have that job specifically. So... One final thing is that Shanjeet is scared of gnomes. You know, if she was on the Amazing Race US, she would be the worst person to have to talk about Travelocity. Because there's always the Travelocity gnome, roaming gnome, in every season of the US version. So it's a good thing that Shanjeet is Canadian. And also Filipino, according to her bio, because 
she said that she was born in Manila. Yep, she's the thriller from Manila. I would love to see Shanjeet do the Namibia roadblock from the last season of Amazing Race US where they just have to run through the desert trying to find the roaming gnome. She would just go take off in the opposite direction of where the gnome landed, probably. She would probably just uh, run all the way to one end of the desert and then come out on the other side and then find the gnome by accident. So, how do you rate Susan and Shanjeet's chances? I don't know. I feel like feel like um, there'll be six, but they they could be cut off earlier because in their Chevrolet ten second clip, when either Susan or Sharanjeet was speaking, uh, right in the middle of of their sentence for why they're going to win the race, it's the only time out of all the Chevrolet clips where they were where the video ended by clipping their sentence uh, midway through. So all we know is that they're going to kick some butt and bring some, then it cut off. So I don't. So I don't know what their whole MO is going to be, but I have them finishing around six. I think that they will improve upon the legacy of their forerunners of Charlotte and Nabila, but I don't really rate their chances higher than sort of about seventh. You don't think the female minority team is going to do well this season? No. It's, it's a trope that happens every season that a female minority team usually doesn't last that long. But unless it's Vanessa and Selena. Unless it's Vanessa and Selena, and we've already talked about that. Yeah, I I have them finishing somewhere, sort of about the last third. I would say the it's seventh or lower for them, really. Yeah, the one thing working for them is that they are probably one of the most physically fit teams there, as opposed to say Shell and Nabila last season, who. I don't think did any physical preparation for the race. I am still mourning the fact we didn't get to see their burkinis. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have such cute outfits. I still don't know how I could remember most of Charlie and Nabila's bio. Yeah, they were bragging about that in their bio. I I, I, I moved on from uh, Charlie and Nabila's biographical information, but thanks to you, Michael, we get to bring it up uh, in the preview podcast every year. They're such amazing race legends. They're the only team who could have kept Jen and Sean in the race. And only just, by the look of things. And so you're saying that they're essentially the the Lisa and Joni of Amazing Race Canada? They are a top 25 team in Amazing Race Canada. Easily. Despite having one of the worst averages of all time. So, shall we move on to Brian and Cynthia? I guess so. We can knock that out in about 10 seconds, I think. They are. They want to be the new small town sweethearts. They're really not going to be. Yeah, they're really aiming to be the new Mike and Rochelle, but they'll come up very, 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 very short. They met while serving in the Canadian Armed Forces. They're now both police officers, and they somehow associate with Natalie and Megan, <laughs> which just tells me they have no personality. Yeah, I think if I had to, if I had to rank the most boring teams out of the three seasons of Amazing Race Canada. Um, Jody and Corey were always at the very bottom of, of that list for me, where they I just found them to be boring before, during, and after the race. But I think Brian and Cynthia are going to set the new standard because just their bios, like their, did you see what their team, team nickname was in the Loop article? Team Us, Team Us. That's it. That's not a, that's not a team nickname. What nickname just says Team Us? If anything, the only time you see those two letters is if somebody is capitalizing them to represent the United States. Like with the Women's World Cup tonight. Yeah. But here it's like, just Team Us. Just capital U, lowercase s. The word, two-letter word. 
us. They just don't excite me at all. They're maybe their only only positive that I can really say about them is that they have a Dave and Rachel way or a Frank Garrison way from Survivor Africa way of speaking where they use words that nobody else really has really used in the past 20 years. So I think that could work in their favor where that could provide some funny dialogue when they, in their bio, they say, oh, situation pending or they're going to be tactical and a bunch of other really technical, very, you know, specific words that they use. Very stiff words, I guess. And I think that could be funny at times, but... I don't see anything else that provides any promise that we're going to receive any entertainment value whatsoever from this team. They are very lucky that they didn't appear last season, because he's afraid of fire. So when they went through the off-air simulation, right before Charlotte Nabila's infamous task of Mm -hmm. putting out a firefight, he would have just been like, nope, penalty. Yep. (laughs) And Charlotte Nabila would still be in the race, or both teams would probably be gone if anything. I'm really disappointed that they didn't last longer. Can you imagine Charlotte and Nabila going to Hong Kong, for example? <laughs> I'm just picturing her with the snake vial. Exactly. <laughs> there was so much comedy. <laughs> as much as I love Jen and Sean, there was so much comedy potential that was lost when they went out. Imagine if Charlotte and Nabila went to the Bruce Lee statue and had to do a Bruce Lee pose and Charlotte gets a Charlie horse during the pose. <laughs> Never give up, Shola. Never give up. Never give up. She just trips and falls around the statue. <laughs> or a Charlie horse during a very, uh, very mental task like this of the the poker game thing where they played the game in the casino in Macau and then they're trying to figure out the numbers and Shala just winces and grabs at her leg having a Charlie horse and having a baby medically evacuated from it. <laughs> and she is, of course, scared of ladders. Yeah, I worked at a... My first job was uh, at a dollar store. And I had a few bit of a fear of heights on unstable objects, and we had to use this 10-foot ladder to get some of the heavier boxes. So the first couple times I used it, I was just shaking the whole time going up, and even on the way down, because I have to carry the heavy box in one hand and balance with the other, and the ladder was a bit wobbly. So that, if she can, uh, if they just put her through that before the race, she'd probably get over her fear of ladders in no time. Yeah, I mean, at 6'5", I am responsible for climbing a lot of ladders at work, so I'm kind of over it. Although, I get what you mean about unstable ladders. I am really not a fan of them. Oh, there was a funny joke in their bio that I found amusing. Uh, So you said, because they're both in the, what is it, they're both cops now. They work at separate police stations, and I guess they met through, what was it, the Canadian Armed Forces. So their navigational skills, they say, are really good, where Cynthia says she really likes maps. And Brian does well with Bush. So I'm thinking, wow, Brian, way too much information. Way too much information. Um, and their quote about how they, or what their strategy is going to be is, it's about winning. There aren't too many chances to be truly dirty. There are U-turns, but it's part of the game. I don't even think it's playing dirty. It's tactical. What happened to them being sort of lone wolves? Natalie and Megan would never use a U-turn. That's so un-Canadian. We're hockey heroes, guys. They're not following in the footsteps of who they aspire to be. How do you rate their chances, then? 
eighth place, I think. I think after they are eliminated, Cynthia will be taking the poppy out of her bag and be mourning the loss of her position in the race. And I have them as a very early boot. They may very well be first boot for me, actually. They're not as strong a first boot as Shala and Nabila were, but they're sort of a tentative first boot. Are you saying that... I think a comparison just came to mind for me, so is it fair to say that they can be compared to, say, Deborah and Steve from The Amazing Race 4? Just that middle-aged, really serious, slightly out-of-shape couple that is just bound to go down early? And doesn't quite fit in with how the race usually goes? I'm not sure how fit they're going to be. I know that law enforcement teams especially tend to have quite a good endurance and that sort of stuff, but I just don't get it from them. I'm just not sure. Deborah and Steve is a very good comparison. I wouldn't be shocked if they're first boot, put it that way. Neither would I. That's why I put them around 8th, just because I think there's other teams that could be eliminated for more immediate reasons, like Nick and Sabrina not being able to swim all that well, for instance, or Dane and Manda not really seeming like they have skills that would directly translate to the race. Or a personality. So, well, from what the bio says... Who knows what they are like in real life. But that's the whole point of doing a preview. It's to be unnecessarily mean about everyone involved and then have to backtrack in the uh, 12 weeks following, like I've done with Suki and Jinder this week. Because upon Mark Carroll's recommendation, I re-listened to our segments about Suki and Jinder last year and cringed. Cringed? Oh. What did we say? That was so bad. They don't seem to be that interesting either. Another team that's going to wind me up a bit. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I told them to get a life, although not as angry as uh, Gino and Jesse. Apparently they've watched the first season hundreds of times, they really need to get a life. <laughs> oh, oh man. Don't do, Whatever you do, listeners, do not tweet out the link for Amazing Race 2 Canada preview podcast to Suki and Jinder. We want to we want to remember the good times of the other 12 episodes where we talked very well of them. Even funnier, I tweeted about it last weekend, and out of the blue, Jinder favorited the tweet. I didn't even tag him in it. <laughs> Maybe they listen to us more than we think. Yeah. You sounded so ill on that preview, by the way. So ill as in, like, oh, you know, Logan sounds ill, or, like, ill as in I was coughing and sneezing the whole time. Like, so full of a cold. Well, that's because with last summer, the house I used to live at, everybody that lives in my area um, at the other place for about 15 years, we all always had really bad allergies around June and July. And then I moved to the other side of town at the end of last summer, pretty much right when the season count of two was about to end. And this summer has rolled around, and I don't have those same allergies that I've always had for the past several years. So... So I think it's just the change of the air on the side of town or certain plants or trees that exist around here. So I haven't really been sneezing as much as I used to or be sniffling all the time and sound like my throat is all dried up. You also said that Suki and Jinder would annoy you as much as Nick and Star. <laughs> oh, we're sorry, Suki and Jinder. I would like to offer a formal apology. We know you're badass. Um, speaking of who isn't badass, um, with Brian and Cynthia... Uh, a lot of the complaints on the Amazing Race Canada page that, that we've made fun of over the past three years... Logan, we've made fun of things? We've made fun of things. we made fun of casual fans, yes. Uh, 
on the Maze Race Canada page, we touched upon this last week, where everybody complains that there's not even even proportion geographic representation of who is on the race, and we've touched upon as to why this is uh, quite extensively. But Brian and Cynthia are the only team from the prairies, correct? As far as I know, yeah. So, the most common complaint is that people were saying, oh, they don't really cast teams from the prairies, there's nobody from Alberta, there's nobody from Saskatchewan. Well, guess what? The lone prairie representation is Brian and Cynthia, and out of the 32 teams in Amazing Race Canada history, I am going out of my way to say that Brian and Cynthia are going to be the most boring team out of all 32 teams that we are ever going to have. And that's the only team that they are able to get from the Prairie. So it's not producer's fault, Prairie folks. It's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the Amazing Race Canada Facebook page at the moment. 16 hours ago, just curious as to why there's no team from Alberta. And they'll get a quadrillion likes. Is that just like being at this point? Like, if, what if what if I say, oh, I can't believe you cast any teams from Alberta or Saskatchewan. Am I just going to suddenly become the most popular person on the Amazing Race Canada Facebook page? Po- post right, right below it. Are they leaving Canada for three quarters of the race, or are they staying in Canada for most of it again? It's only amazing when you leave your own country for most of it, where you have a, a language barrier, different cultures and traditions, different food, etc. Yeah, I've already got, uh, like, ever since I did the article a week ago for the funny complaints that we see on the page, I've already found eight more that uh, that I find hilarious. And, that, and I even had to cut out a couple of the, oh, I can't believe you're not going to stay in Canada ones. There's one on there that's really passive-aggressive, which I find particularly hilarious. Also, just as an exclusive, Logan and I were offered to go to CTV's Media Day, but we had to turn it down because of flights. Well, yeah, because we were the only available flights were WestJet, and I'm not sure if you've seen the news lately, but somebody's been calling in about five or six fake bomb threats to WestJet over the past week, so this has been mainly through, I think, Edmonton, Calgary, and then there was one that was just in Toronto where they... Had to call in the RCMP to search the plane, but none of these bomb threats have panned out. So that's why my ticket ultimately didn't go through because my flight got delayed and I couldn't take part in the media day. So, you know, I didn't get to spit in James Duffy's face. <laughs> um, I didn't get to uh, yell and, and shout curse words at the four people from the social. And I didn't get to kick sand in Devin Sultan Deke's eyes. So I missed out on all the golden opportunities on the CTV Media Day for the Amazing Race Canada 3. The official term is harpies from the social. That is the term we use. Harpies? Can you you use it in a sentence? A grasping, unpleasant woman. (laughs) If you want me to use it in a sentence, Google has offered one. Clearly, he had us down as a couple of gold-digging harpies. <laughs> so shall we move on to um Simi and 4chan's favorite Opie? <laughs> yes, let's let's do that. So I propose so that we don't get in trouble on this podcast and we want to keep this podcast clean. When whenever we say Simi and Opie's last name, I suggest we just drop the first syllable and just say the Bombays or the or the Bongbees rather. Uh, which, coincidentally, it's similar to the nickname the Bong Pete's, which was Mickey and Pete's uh, nickname, I believe, in the Amazing Race Canada too. Or we go the Stephen Colbert way, and we say their last name backwards. 
I have to I have to point out though because many of our listeners aren't even from Canada, but with there's actually a pretty legit connection between British Columbia and Nigeria because uh, when I was well just growing up here locally, pretty much the only major minority representation where I live because we're the whitest uh, region of BC uh, is mainly East, East Indian and Chinese is pretty much our two major minority demographics. But we actually, within my town, we have a sister city within Nigeria. So we don't really have much of an African-Canadian population, but any pretty much 100% of African-Canadians were from Nigeria through the sister city exchange program. And my eldest brother, the only uh, African-Canadian guy that he lived with during his college wrestling days, uh, I don't know if he lived with him. He trained with him anyway, so it was Daniel Galley. And, of course, he's the one that won the gold medal at the Sydney Olympics, and he was a Nigerian-Canadian. So basically what you're saying is that it's very possible in the Major Race Canada 4 that we could be seeing a Nigeria leg. Um, well, it's not politically stable right now. That's the thing we learn in university, especially especially northern Nigeria, if anything. There's no way they would visit that area of the country. Because when I was in university, I got to talk to the author of one of the books we read in the Central African uh, political science course. So I think, if anything, they would only be visiting one of the major cities uh, along the south coast, I believe. Okay, so for so for the Bong Bees here, um, with Simi and Opie, uh, I hope that they are nothing like Hussein and Natasha from Amazing Race Asia 4. That's my biggest fear, because I do see some personality similarities, but Hussein and the Amazing Race Asia 4, for those of you who haven't seen it, he is just... He's... Just imagine Gino and Jesse, but just... But the same. He's the same as Gino and Jesse. He's that bad. I was going to say, he's basically your Gino and Jesse. He is my Gino and Jesse. He is my Gene. And uh, he is my Karen from Survivor Palau as well. Having said that... You're not particularly high on Gino and Jesse either, thankfully. But yeah, Hussein was just the most irritating guy out of everybody to participate in the Amazing Race Asia. He would just quit everything and still be rewarded for it. Like, and towards the end of the season, him and Natasha had a lead, and they did this task that you would see in almost any season of Amazing Race, and he decided not to do it. And then the and then he took a four hour penalty, so the so the other team just got to win the race very, very easily without any suspense. And um, Opie is Simi's hero, and he repays her by saying that if they win the money, he wants to buy a house for his son. Did you, oh, you noticed that too? I wrote it down. I wrote down a little... I, li- I wrote down a financial map where I wrote down C- Simi is going to give her prize money to her parents, and Opie is one of her parents, and Opie wants to give his prize money to... Uh, his son. So the son gets to reap all the benefits from whatever, from however well they do on this season. And go on a cruise with his wife as well. Simi gets nothing, in other words. Everybody in the else in the family wins money except for her. She's in a lose-lose situation. And they most associate with the Tims, obviously, as the most successful parent-child team. And yay for British Columbia re- representation, finally. Yeah, Burnaby. That's where my brother lived for a bit, or, well... I have several brothers. That's where my eldest brother lived during his uh, college wrestling days. Isn't that 
the place that Nate from Big Brother Canada 2 was from. Yes, it was. And did you notice what his favourite travel destination is? Home, which I assume is not referring to to Burnaby, but rather to Nigeria, I hope. Home is such an awful answer to that question. I may actually have to do a post on, here's the generic questions that they'll ask you on a talk bio, do not answer this. This is stupid. And they are both scared of snakes. Yeah, actually, uh, during the racing special as well, uh, Devin was trying to figure out who had the heaviest backpack. And interestingly enough, he lifted Simi's backpack, and he said it's the heaviest backpack he's lifted in the, over the past couple seasons. So I guess so. Even though we were making fun of other teams like uh, like Max slash Khaleesi, uh, Max and Elias for packing two straight flat iris. I know it was like either curling or straight or flat, but uh, whatever. Who the hell cares? <laughs> I was going to say, can you not tell from her profile picture? But with with Simi there, yeah, I'm surprised she's the one with the heaviest backpack because you know she's pretty much the sm- the smallest racer overall on this season. She doesn't look like somebody who is who wants to be as fashionable as say Brent and Sean or even like Dean and Amanda or some of the other teams or Nick and Matt who want to carry a bunch of protein stuff as well. Maybe she's just got a lot of cute outfits. Could be. Very strong possibility. And also in the the Ready Set Race, which was a terrible title for the CTV preview, by the way. Uh, I guess Opie admitted that he's that he's not very good in water, which is the same as so as Nick and Sabrina. And also completely adheres to the stereotype. Yeah, I'm not one to really joke about that, because I don't think it's really something worth joking about, but it, with all these seasons of Amazing Race and Survivor, it you know, it just really opens your eyes up. That's just a... Maybe it's not even reinforcing the stereotype, but just the stereotype that I may have some overall truth to it, I guess. And their strategy quote is, we follow our own path, we're comfortable enough that when we're convinced about what we're doing, we don't mind going out on our own, integrity is huge for us. So they're basically Natalie and Megan. Yeah, they were really... A lot of teams this season aren't willing to do anything sneaky, supposedly, or do anything that compromises their image, which makes sense for like the athletic and law enforcement teams, but, I mean, Simi is... Uh, a business-business relations person was her uh, official occupation. And then Opie's job was, uh, well, he had like some obscure oh, title. Oh, distribution logistics coordinator. A really, a, a job that flows well when you want to say it fast. We have a lot of euphemistic job titles this season, actually. Because like, on the official CTV bio, Hamilton and Michaela basically said that we work in customer service. I had to go digging to find out who's Tim Hortons. Is that like uh, bartenders on newer seasons of Survivor that say they're mixologists? Well, mixology is actually studying bartending, I think. I think if someone says they're a bartender, they basically just work there out of university. Whereas I think if they're a mixologist, they actually do it professionally. I see. The more you learn. <laughs> How do you rate Simeon Opie's uh, chances then? Um... Uh... Sadly, I have them going first. We're differing on a uh, on a first boot. I don't think they'll be first. I think they'll be pretty early then. How early? I'd say probably first three legs. Yeah, I think they'll be. I think I originally had them in eleventh. Then like, uh, 
No, they'll probably just go first, because they don't come off super competitive. For instance, Opie seems super relaxed. And then Simi, and just in their bio, it's, it seems like winning is secondary to them, and it's more about just them wanting to be on a vacation and bond with each other. I don't think the race is really on their mind too much. And they're not, and they're not going to be, like, Simi isn't, doesn't have aspirations to be a model, and Opie's not trying to become an actor, so there's not even much of a motivation for them to try and get as much screen time as possible. They're not, neither of them, are, they're the furthest removed from being the Macter type. I certainly don't think that they're going to be getting to about halfway. I'll be very surprised if they do. So, team number 10 is the aforementioned Nick and Matt, who are a professional wrestling team known as the Flatliners or Asylum and Burns. And by day, they are a school teacher and estate agent, respectively. On the Ready, set, race thing. Devin asked them, oh, what was your worst tag team nickname uh, in wrestling? And they said that their, I think their worst one was called Hate Machine. What? It's just such a stupid one. Yeah, that's why they said it was their worst. Yeah. I have quite high hopes for them. Because they, they were pretty hilarious in their bios and in their, they had that interview with that weird lady from The Social as well Poppy. as a clip. And then... And then also, yeah, one of the a quarter a quarter of the harpies, um, and uh, I can't even remember where the harpies from the social came from. I think it might have been something we reinforced after season one. <laughs> and then on uh, on this ready set race clip, they were they're just naturally funny guys. I think they are naturally funny. And they're well traveled, which are two very dangerous things for other teams. Mm-hmm. Well, wrestlers uh, don't really have a reputation of being early exits on The Amazing Race. No, they tend to be sort of four through six, at least. Yeah, they're, they're so I actually have these guys pegged as being fourth place overall. And they just, uh, there's no outstanding weakness for them from what I can tell. I can definitely see them being the disappointing last boot. Mm -hmm. It would break my heart, I suspect, if they went in fourth, which probably means they're going to go in fourth. The only disappointing thing about them is that they're naturally funny guys, but they have the most G-rated type sense of humor, and especially with Nick, because he's a first-grade school teacher, so I think he's not going to be the type to, you know, start dropping F-bombs while traveling, because he knows he's on camera and... uh, potentially lose his teaching job. Max and Elias, but, in other words. Yeah, the exact opposite of Max and Elias. But I think that it's, it'll still be funny enough, even within that really clean, squeaky clean type of uh, humor, that it won't really get to me at all. Yeah, they've travelled extensively together, including around the US and Japan, and spent hundreds of hours in a car together. And it sounds like hundreds of hours travelling with Hulk Hogan. Please never do that impression again. If they get to, they, they should have Hulk Hogan at the U-turn board, and then just and then Nick and Matt are faced with the dilemma, and then Hulk Hogan is just standing there saying, "What you gonna do, brother?" And with the money, Nick wants to finish reno- renovating his house and be in a good financial position. And Matt would like to explore a new career option, potentially being the second racer in this cast who wants to be a firefighter. He does not strike me as somebody who would be a real estate agent and also a wrestler. No, and also, his nickname would be so ironic if he became a firefighter. Because I'm assuming he's the Burns bit of Asylum and Burns. Asylum, yeah, Asylum and Burns? Uh, your name, nickname is Burns? We're going to hire you to be a firefighter? Excellent. <laughs> Especially in Canada, where we're just having fires everywhere right now. 
Yeah, well, this is a dry season, isn't it? Super dry. There's been thousands of people evacuated out of Saskatchewan, so they're probably, uh, I think they're in some emergency area in Alberta, and hopefully they're so bored that they're listening to this podcast right now. And then there was a there was a building that burned down just about 10 blocks away from me. So what you're saying is it's caused literally tens of dollars of damage in Saskatchewan. Yeah, tens of dollars in Saskatchewan, yes. And there's just been a bunch of other fires as well, so he's probably going to get into the business at the right time because, you know, they're probably gonna, probably uh, the governments provincially and nationally are going to be hiring as many firefighters as they can. As I mentioned earlier in the week, uh, Wednesday was the hottest day on record in July ever. In Britain? Yeah, at 37 degrees. Yeah, we've already had a couple of 40-degree days here. It's never, ever got that warm, and it was so humid. It's been awful this week in terms of humidity, because it was like 80% humidity most days. So would that be the perfect day to go to London there and just and just smell all, all of the aroma around London? Yeah, it would have been a very smelly day in London on Wednesday. Could you imagine if they had like that 40-degree day on, say, Matt, Masonry's Canada 1 or 2 with one of the fish sorting tasks? <laughs> well, from what I've heard, at least one of the India legs was taking place during a very, very, very bad heat wave. One that killed people, actually. 6,000. So that's going to be hilarious fun television to watch, because someone is going to blatantly get heat stroke. Uh, that's and- why there was no teams from... Uh... Yukon, uh, Northwest Territories, or Nunavut this season, because if they were had to go through the India leg, I'm pretty sure that team would die. Yeah. And they commit another pet peeve on the bios. They can't compare themselves to anyone. Or a copy, never imitated. <laughs> as much as I kind of get the reasoning for it, seriously guys, just come up with someone. Make it Jet and Dave, because otherwise we have to honorarily put you Jet as Jet and Dave, like last season. We can probably come up with a much more flattering comparison than Jet and Dave. Uh... Having said that, last season there was one team that definitely had no comparison that we mocked for it, and honorarily made them Jet and Dave, and that was Suki and Jinder. Ooh, that's an interesting point. As far as I know, Suki and Jinder were the only team last season not to do uh, a comparison. I think the reason why they can't be compared, besides Nick's facial hair... That he, that one of the teams, other teams on the race during the race at race special coined as being the most perfectly trimmed beard he's ever seen. Uh, Matt has a green toque, not and it's not even super douchey type duke. It's uh, toque. It's a, uh, it actually looks fashionable on him. Logan style advice there. Yes. Uh, are we bringing back that segment from Amazing Race Twenty Five? Well, given my rants about um, about people's clothing last week, it kind of fits. Actually, the there, there is somebody I compared Matt to, and it's not an amazing racer. It's a character from the Netflix series BoJack Horseman. There's a the human character that lives in BoJack's apartment, and he looks a bit like Matt because he wear, wears the same uh, the same toque. So Matt is essentially I essentially compared Matt to a uh, an 18 year old guy who just couch serves in the in the house of a horse. Yeah. Pretty famous much. horse. And they are both scared of snakes, so it's probably for the best that they didn't go to Hong Kong. And it's probably best that Tommy Lee wasn't cast for this season. And did you see that Matt, one of Matt's rules? Matt, one of Matt's rules is that uh, he has a he has a no fanny pack policy at home. That's one of his that's one of his rules in the bio. There's a no fanny pack policy. 
that's going to serve him well uh, when racing around the world. Yeah, that's that's how you lose your passport. Just just ditch the fanny pack. Just ask another fourth place team, Tony in Dallas. Now Dallas is just so paranoid that he has a fanny pack, uh, has a titanium clip attached around his body to make sure he always has the fanny pack on him at all times over the past 10 years. And their strategy quote is, our plan is definitely not to play dirty, but when it comes down to not having the grand prizes, I'd rather be the prize winner. They have a really weird quote too where they said, we're, we're there to be beaten. Which is a very low aiming goal to have on the race. We could literally shall learn to be it and succeed. <laughs> and Matt had a couple of other interesting points too. He says that he loves uh, room escape games, so I wonder if he has either nine hours, nine persons, nine doors for the D- Nintendo DS, or if he's also played uh, Virtue's Last Reward Zero Escape. Okay, that's the game he probably has for the 3DS. And he also said that his most prized item is shampoo. Oh no, no, not shampoo. Uh, actually, it's my Mach 3 Razor. So what I gather from that is that Nick and Matt are going to be making a lot of jokes about being bald, and that could get old really fast. Weirdly, my local RuneScape game followed me out the blue on Twitter a couple of days ago. I have oh. never even contacted them. And then they sent me a DM saying, why don't you come down? I'm like, I wonder if I had any friends. They've not responded. So... um are we going with fourth place for them? Uh, for the wrestlers, I think that's a pretty solid bet. I think we can go with uh, fourth place. Fourth place. I get the sort of Suki and Jinder style disappointing exit vibe from them, definitely. Hopefully they won't get on our nerves. Especially with their modest team nickname, according to the Loop article, which was Team Super Cool Dudes. So they're super modest as well, I guess. And now we're going to... The team that I was probably most excited about preseason before reading any of the bios. Because I love an X team. X's teams are always sources of hilarity. Yes, between Tara and Will and Tim and Marie. And Adam and Rebecca. And Adam and Rebecca, although were they already split even before the race started? Yeah, I think they were split. I think their point of going on the race was for, or Adam's point of going on the race was to try and win her back. Yeah, that didn't work out. She switched teams. She certainly did. So it's uh, Dujon and Leilani, who are friends and exes. She's shout-witted and a musical theatre performer, and he is one of Canada's number one crumpers. I was under the impression that crumpers is a breakfast food. I thought crumper was the name of an enemy from Donkey Kong Country along crushes and uh, critters. And uh, what are these? What are some other enemies from uh, Donkey Kong Country? Uh, help me out here, Michael. To be fair, I've not got that far into it because... I just don't have the patience for the long levels that I keep dying on. And with the monies, they want to buy a dance studio. And they are one of two teams that we know of who said their pop duo name would be Sugar, Spice, and Whole Wheat Rice. Whole Wheat Rice? Yeah, Whole Wheat Rice was the bit that they included. And they most associate with Mickey and Pete. Which I don't know why. No, neither do I. Probably the Ontario connection, let's be honest. Oh, and this there's a big tip-off as to why... These two will could be gone early because Lalani has inhalers in her backpack. Ooh, yeah. Could we see another uh, comparison to Tara and Will then? Yeah, well, they're running to the finish line. Dujan, they have a big lead on. Uh, oh, let's say uh, one of the one of, one of the teams that are probably going to make it to the finish line this season. Uh, Max and Elias. Max and Elias, yeah. So Max and Elias are like ten minutes behind, and Dujan and Lalani are just have to. You know, run a quarter of a mile to the finish line. They're at the location. They're out of their taxi, 
And then Dujan starts breakdancing on his way to the finish line. He starts crumping. You know, he's he's getting down. He's doing the robot. You know, he's he's really getting into it because he knows he's got this in the bag. But then Lilani just has the biggest asthma attack in the world. And, you know, she's puffing herself up with some salbutamol, some Ventolin, just really trying to get the oxygen going. But then they have to stop and slow down. And then Max and Elias just uh, walk by them, probably say F yeah or something like that, just cursing on their way onto the finish line. And then Max and Elias become the winners of the Amazing Race uh, Canada 3. I would be very interested to see whether a entrance by a winning team has had to be refilmed because it was just swear words. <laughs> yeah. Like Chris Do- Doherty's Survivor Vanuatu, where he just screams the F-bomb upon winning. Exactly. I would be very interested to see whether that actually happens. Because we've had, like, the best part of 60 seasons now. Surely someone has screamed a swear word when they've won. You would think so. Or maybe it was Phil Kogan that said the F, F word where he said, you know, you know, eight countries, you know, 30,000 effing miles or something like that. And he, just because he's like, <laughs> just because he's a potty mouth off screen, sort of like Jeff Probst is. And he's like, oh, no, oh, no, re- reshoot, reshoot. <laughs> to be fair, it was probably Grant Bowler because he gets very excited when a team wins because that's the only time he's allowed to be excited all season. He's just like, F-bombs for everyone. <laughs> F yeah, it's Daniel and Ryan. Or in the Amazing Race Six, when Freddie, uh, Freddie and Kendra across the finish line, Phil Cohen just said, "All right, we're gonna shoot what we're gonna show for the finale." But just know that I don't care about either of you guys. And his fear is drowning, and she's scared of spiders. Yeah, Dujan has a fear of drowning. If they have a deep water task, could be interesting for him. If the water is ruthless. You say? Do you think he's going to keep going with the Ruthless nickname throughout the season? Hopefully not, because it's stupid. Like, when he goes to U-turn a team, he's going to say, oh, you know, you know, I got to U-turn them. Ruthless. Ruthless Dujon. Well, to be fair, both of their strategy quotes were very ruthless. He mm-hmm. said, I want to win, I'd play dirty, and I wouldn't give two rats, you know? And she said, playing fair is nice, but do you get remembered for it? Really? No, you do not. Because then you end up like, uh... It was a team that we don't really care about in the Amazing Race Canada. Jody and Corey? Yes. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good example. Uh, so what else? Oh, yeah, they have, they probably have the most interesting story of how they met. They met by watching friends in a rap battle. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened before where an t- Amazing Race team has met through a rap battle. Uh, so how do you rate their chances? Let's see. If the inhalers don't come into play too early on in the game i see them making it as far as seventh but i don't think that we'll see them last too far into the season i have hopes that they'll last for a while but i wouldn't be surprised if they don't you know what else was interesting uh about them is that i guess dujan was dancing so much that during the ready set race special that all the other teams were saying oh yeah he's a really good dancer he was just crumping the whole time (laughs) during the interview process and around the hotel yeah if they get a dance task they will ace it i suspect because amazing race canada loves a dance task yeah but everybody is preparing for dance tasks and memorization this season especially the memory ones at least seven or eight teams had that in their bio so that's the problem with the new franchise is that especially with amazing race is that if you have the same type of tasks over and over you pretty much have to cast recruits otherwise you're just going to be have otherwise you're just going to be full of teams 
who know exactly what tasks are going to be on the horizon, and nobody is really going to struggle. And our final team is the new Stephen Alley, Neil and Kristen. I thought they could potentially have uh, Duke and Lauren vibes, personally. I've thought this since the bios are announced that they they don't necessarily have Stephen Alley vibes, but they are going for the Stephen Alley demographic. I think so, too, which means they won't get any airtime whatsoever. CCV wants us to love them, though. Oh, they're trying really hard. They're really pushed. They were even mentioning, uh, you know, uh, the the sun. They were even mentioning that the sun was a CFL player turned bobs Olympian bobsledder. Yeah, they are enthusiastic and humorous, according to the buyer. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that Nielsen and Kristen's brother Jesse is a former CFL player and now an Olympian under bobsled. Which you know, as we've previously talked about the bobsled with Steve from last American season about how it's a inherently dangerous sport, but you know, kind of badass. And yeah, they are one of two teams that I definitely get the feeling that CTV wants us to love them. The other being Brent and Sean. Yeah, Brent and Sean got a lot of love in their bio from CTV. With Neil and Kristen, it's. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll receive too much airtime because they are definitely more subtle. Neil, Neil seems like a fairly quiet guy, and then Kristen's the outgoing one, I would say, but she's not interesting per se. She has the one, I guess, uh, the one aspect about her uh, that they're really pushing the bio is that she overcame multiple learning disabilities, I guess, to, to uh, get through school. So uh, clearly she's driven. But with these two, yeah, I think they were just cast because they're marketable to the portion of the fan base where they don't really care about entertaining teams. They just want quote-unquote nice-slash-patriotic Canadian teams. Yeah, they were cast purely for the patriotism. Because we've Mm -hmm. not, throughout this season, we have not got any team who is kind of semi-famous until Neil and Kristen. Mm -hmm. I I had no idea who Neil was, by the way. Neither did I, but I'm not Canadian, so I've got an excuse. Yeah. But yeah, I had no idea who the guy was. It didn't ring a bell. Even when I even when I saw saw a picture of him, I'm, I'm thinking, who 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 the hell is that? You know, Logan, don't you know that he's a three time Grey Cup winner with the Edmonton Eskimos? Yeah, I, I know. I, the only yeah, I recognize Elias within about point point one seconds. But Neil is just one, uh, just nothing. No bells ringing. The thing that sort of worries me for them is they have very similar strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, a good team balances similar. each other out. I like how Neil's complained about Kristen is that she talks too much. Yet she's the one that's yeah. yeah if she wasn't talking, they'd probably have zero confessionals uh, each episode. Yeah, he he's a know-it-all, and she's too loud. Apparently, I find it fitting that a guy who was in the CFL comes from a town named Burlington. I think I might have passed through there. Really? Did you see Neil there? No, I didn't. He might have waved as the train went past. Hey, guys. Hey, Harmstones, I'm going to be on the Amazing Race Canada 3. Remember me. <laughs> on the subject of uh, memorization tactics, she has a photographic memory, apparently. Which means she's going to screw up at a memory task? Almost certainly, because you have to remember that the bios tend to be written before the season, but then can be tweaked up until the release by the teams. So the fact that it appears in there probably means that something's going to go wrong for them. Did you know how little Neil cared about this race? Kristen picked out his entire wardrobe except for his shoes. He really was just rung up by someone from casting going, do you have someone who you can race with? Are you free? I wonder if there was just a mass email, like, because you said with Malin Megan that they just contacted Hockey Can and said, hey, give us two people. And they said, okay, well, we'll give you Nally and Megan. 
But with here, I wonder if they contacted Football Canada or or just sent out a mass chain email to every uh, present and past player uh, in, on the CFL roster over the past 30 years and said, hey, any of you guys interested in being on the Amazing Race Canada? It's quite noticeable that there is nothing in their bio about their preparation for the race, which probably means they were cast about five days before. I think Neil said that he'd switch to cardio and less power-type workouts before the race. But that's been it. I don't think they had much time to prepare. I'm pretty sure they were recruits. Kristen has the, probably the best fear out of anybody this season, I think. Centipedes! Centipedes! I, there's, well, there's a joke there, but uh, we're, we're not going to make it. Yeah, it's, it's not Amazing Race Israel, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> because Amazing Race Israel would probably try and recreate that. <laughs> Could you imagine that intersection? That's an intersection nobody wants to see. <laughs> It's <laughs> just um, a, pe- a penalty to have uh, the last two teams have to be trained together. And Kristen likes carrots because they're long, sweet, and crunchy. We don't need to go there, really, do we? Either? We can press pause on that. Uh, and they don't think you have to be dirty to win. Which, to be fair, neither team that has won the race used a U-turn, I don't think. In Canada, yeah. Kindness has been rewarded. So... How do you rate their chances? Uh, um, not in the words. Not good. Not good. <laughs> I have them as around ninth. And can I mention how happy I am that they cast two father-daughter teams on the same season, uh, rather than it just being one father-daughter team? Because in the Amazing Race Asia, and I think in the U.S. as well, when they had, uh. Jim and Marsha on, the production always pushed, oh, you're the the first ever father-daughter team to be on The Amazing Race. And then when Hussein and Natasha made it halfway through the race, then uh, Alan Wu would say, hey, out of all the father-daughter teams, nobody, the father-daughter team has never made it this far, and you just want to shake Wu by his uh, shoulders and say, hey, Alan, that's because they're the only father-daughter team that's ever been cast for the race. So I think by casting two father-daughter teams to uh, break the barrier, so to speak, for Mason Race Canada, production can't do this uh, father-daughter pioneering crap. May I just point out as well, Wu is on fire at the moment. If you don't follow Alan Wu on Facebook, do it now. He's amazing. Yes, I have been following his travels for Mason Race China, where apparently they love to leak out every location they're going as they film it. And with Alan Wu, uh, he's you know he's he's going through Greece, he's going through Turkey. His puns were on fire. Kanga Wu is still my favorite, but Kanga Wu, Kanga Wu, There's, did he ride in the pouch? He actually used the t- the hashtag Kanga Wu. Oh, how did I miss out on that? I thought I I borderline stalked this guy on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> he's such a legend. I love him. So yeah, Neil and Kristen probably aren't going to last that long, let's be honest. And even if they do, we're not going to really know much about them. It's just going to be... he's gonna, Neil's going to be like Uncle Rico, and he's going to be talking about his CFL days, and they're going to be in a mountainous area, maybe within either BC or elsewhere in Canada that has mountains, and he's going to be uh, at the pit stop, and he's going to talk to the producers and say, Hey, hey, hey guys. Hey, hey, Monty, think I could throw this football over the mountain? You know for a fact that Monty is going to mention the fact that they're related to an Olympian. Oh, yeah. Monty eats that crap up all the time. 
That's the sort yeah, of stuff all the producers do. Yeah, Monty it especially really... is big on his Olympian knowledge. That's all he, he just wants to brag. Like, oh, I know, I know, uh, I know which com- Canadian won the gold medal at the nineteen, you know, nineteen seventy six Olympics in Montreal. I know everybody. I know them on a first name basis. I know their, I know their children and their children's children. So, should we talk about the twists finally? The major twist of the season is a new challenge element called the face-off, which is added to the competition. Now, after a little bit of digging, I'm assuming that this is the double battle, coined by Amazing Race Israel. Also known as Hammerot's Lamillion. Amazing Race Israel, of course, being the best franchise because of how ridiculous their tasks are and the psychological warfare that they put the races under. People need to, up if for any Hebrew listeners out there, please... Post English subtitles for every episode of Hamrot's Lamillion. That's the Israeli version of Amazing Race. And do it for all four seasons because if you're just bored, just go through the Wikipedia page for each of the four seasons and read through the tasks and tell me that, and just tell me with a straight face that you don't think that that's not worth watching. Anyone who knows me knows that I love a good foreign television program, regardless of whether it's got English subtitles or not. I'm decent with French programs, currently watching French Mole and Fault Bayard, which is the best adventure show of all time. But, like, Dutch Mole, I'll watch with English subtitles. If someone can give me English subtitles, I will eat the shit up of uh, Hammerot's. But yeah, I I love Hammerot's tasks. From the detail where they made teams eat cake ingredients, including a raw egg and a candle, to the taking them to Las Vegas and simulating what the Mafia does by burying someone alive for half an hour. 30 minutes! That was in the same season. That was season three. Or the the round where the penalty for coming in last was having to wear your winter weather gear when we went to Brazil, and then having, in the Brazilian leg, a fast-forward which involved naked volleyball. <laughs> the producers are evil for Hammerots, but they're awesome. So let's talk about this face-off twist, which is stripped right from Amazing Race uh, Israel. Let's... Uh... Let's uh, let's rephrase it for those uh, who do n- who are not familiar with this twist before. Basically, in the double battle, two teams will go head to head in the same task. It's usually some sort of relay race or silly task, like playing strip poker in a limo, and the first team to give up have to uh, go back to the start. The next team get a clue, and the last team standing usually has some sort of penalty or embarrassing task to do like walking around the streets of Las Vegas wearing wearing nothing but a sandwich board saying I lost a game of strip poker strip Mm -hmm. poker actually happened (laughs) and yeah some of it'll be used to weed out some of the weaker teams like I don't see Brian and Cynthia winning a face off for example and I hope we never have to see them lose a game of strip poker (laughs) Yeah, some, something tells me that after last season, they may not go the strip route for a while. With a lot of the Canadian viewers, um, we're, we're, we're not that progressive where if a team, if there was that sort of task, there'd be so much viewer outrage because Masonry's Canada is a quote-unquote family show. Uh, and a task like that just wouldn't be well-received and there'd be so many angry people saying, oh, you know, this is, you know, what are you guys doing? This is immoral. This is unethical. This is worse than when you made them eat the snake bile. Uh, this is worse than spitting on a few potatoes. Oh, you guys are the worst. Blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't be surprised if we have, like, a water polo match as a um, as a face-off. That's the sort of thing that they like to do. They should have a ho- an ice hockey face-off, face-off. Go meta. A face-off, face-off, face-off. Yes, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are playing ice hockey on the Amazing Race Canada during the face-off. 
Oh man, that's a that's a triple entendre. Which team do you think will have the most trouble with a potential face-off? Oh, I think I had a fairly good contender for that. Uh, let's see. I was thinking probably seeming OP wouldn't be too competitive with other teams during the face-off. Uh, maybe Dane and Amanda would be major choke artists. Uh, Neil probably wouldn't really care. Yeah, is Neil just going to phone it in all season, do we reckon? I think so. He's actually... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Neil is 62 years old, and I believe that puts him as... One of the, uh, probably pretty much the oldest Amazing Race contestant that we've had in quite a few years. Yeah, if they get U-turned, will he complain about it being inappropriate to U-turn an old man? No, because he's not an entitled diva like David O'Leary is. And that's rude. And that's rude, yes. Um, but yeah, have we had anybody over the age of 60 on any season of Amazing Race since Bill and Kathy? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Definitely not last season. Actually, I think Israel had a grandparents team. And they were out first? <laughs> Second, actually. Sounds about right. 57 and and 60, respectively. And how old were Bill and Kathy? Bill was 63, Kathy was 62. Okay, so yeah. So Neil is the oldest racer since since Bill and Kathy of the Amazing Race 19. Uh, so that's quite a while to not, really, to not have an older racer. And I think he will live up to the stereotype of being a little bit rubbish. And that's probably the reason why I see racers over the age of 60s, because they don't have a reputation of doing too well dating all the way back to season one. For the record, by the way, Bill and Kathy are not rubbish. Bill and Kathy are legends. They're not, no, Bill and Kathy are the furthest from rubbish. They are, they are skeleton bones. Bill and Kathy are some of my favorite uh, joke targets we've ever used. Yeah, actually, I think... Uh, they're here with me right now, um, except we're not on video, so I can't show you the urn. They're lunging within my urn. And what a beautiful way to wrap up this preview. <laughs> <laughs> that's all 12? Yeah, that's all 12 teams. So I'm going to quickly run through my list of the 12 teams and my prediction, because we were a bit scared with doing it one at a time. So from last to first, here we go. Seeming OP in 12th, Nick and Sabrina in 11th because of their water issues, Dean and Amanda in 10th, Neil and Kristen in 9th, the CFL career is not going to save them, Brian and Cynthia in 8th, but I hope they finish in 13th, then Dujan Leilani in 7th, Susan and Sharon Jeet in 6th, Brent and Sean in 5th, uh, Nick and Matt 4th, Malias in 3rd, Hamilton and Michaela in 2nd, and the worst outcome possible, because I'm pessimistic, the Gino and Jesse, the Canadian, the Canadian Satans, the the Antichrist, and first taking the title. Can we come up with a nickname for them so we don't actually have to refer to them ever again, please? No, um, what, the Tangerines. Yeah, Tangerines will do. We need. To, we're going to come up with an off-air nickname for them because I don't want their names to be ever spoken again. <laughs> you know who? Voldemort. Voldemort. We can say Voldemort. Because Gino and Jesse, is that undesirable to say that Voldemort is more pleasant than Gino and Jesse? They who shall not be named. So yeah, I think we're about done for the preview. You think we're going to have a starting line elimination with these 12 teams? Or are we just going to have one fewer non-elimination? Or an idea that I thought of in my head is that one of the double, or I want to say double battle because... Face-Off is such a lame nickname. Like, we get it. We get that this is Amazing Race Canada and they like to shove ice hockey references down our throat. But calling it Face-Off is just way too much. But I know that's 
what a core of the viewership of Amazing Race Canada loves is that the that the series is all patriotic, and that that's why we have a bunch of athletes and law enforcement teams because like we need to wave the Canadian flag every single round. But Face Off is just such a cringeworthy name that I just want to call it the double battle on every podcast. Yeah, we can call it the double battle. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a um, just one for you non-elimination. Nobody will be eliminated through the double battle? No, I, I think that would be a completely um, bullshit way of doing it, shall we say. Hasn't stopped amazing race producers before. So, thank you very much for listening. You can join us this coming Friday, the 10th of July, to recap the premiere. If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are in the podcast description too. Also, if you've not heard the interview that we did with the Major Race 26's Small Town Sweethearts, Mike and Michelle, that's also available on iTunes to listen to now. Thank you again. Hashtag Tier 5 hashtag Ginger Ninja, hashtag Yattencast, hashtag Super Kawaki. Peace! Peace out! A-Town! Yeah!